Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Thank you, Lord. This is more of a teaching night on Wednesday night. We're glad that you came out to study the Word together with us this evening, and uh, we're going to get right into the teaching of God's Word. My message tonight will be a continuation from Sunday morning, and that title was Build or Rebuild. So this is lesson two on Build or Rebuild. So let us pray first. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your Word together, and we study it in the name of Jesus. Asking your Holy Spirit to anoint our ears to hear it, our hearts to receive it, our minds to be open to it. More than anything, change us by what we hear from glory to glory, that we might conform to the very image of Jesus our Lord and become that for which he shed his precious and holy blood. That we might be shining lights in a world of darkness, holding forth the word of life to this generation that you have called us to do, to meet. We just believe, dear Father God, right now, your anointing is upon each and every one of us. We're equipped by your spirit that we might be witnesses for Jesus in this land. That the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ would shine upon hearts and minds of those that we come in contact with each and every day of our lives. May we live our lives as living epistles of the living Christ known and read of all men. And for it all, we'll give you all the glory that you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you were not here with us on Sunday morning, I'll just give you a quick review. We've been talking about Nehemiah's mandate to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we expressed six different things with six different words that begin with F. And the first one is he had to focus on what God had called him to do, what needed to be done. Focus on the hand of God in his life and what he expressed that he wanted him to do. Nothing more important for any of us than to do that. Whatever it is he lays on our heart to do, we need to focus on that mission. Secondly, we said it's important then to find the facts. He went there, he evaluated the situation, found out the facts. What needs to be done? Whether you're building those walls or the walls of our spiritual lives, we can get into the word of God and find the facts and see what we need to do. The third thing was he needed friends. Friends to help the project. No one gets through this life on their own. From birth, you need parents. As you grow, you need other influences, teachers to teach you. And of course, let's not forget the friend who sticks closer than a brother. What's his name? Jesus. We all need friends, just like Moses. He had his hands held up by Aaron and Hur to help Joshua overcome the Amalekites. Remember? Absolutely. Okay, so we're not doing it on our own. Next, faith is absolutely required. He reviewed his past in order to do what? Face his future. Just like David did. He reviewed his past. Lion and the bear he overcame by the hand of God to face the giant, the next step. And of course, he succeeded. Next, we talked about facing our foes. There's going to be opposition, no matter what it is that God lays on our heart to do. We will be opposed, whether it's an individual, a family, a business, whether it's a church, an enterprise of any sort, even a nation. It's important that we understand the fact that we have opposition so that we're prepared to stand against them. And finally, fulfillment comes from whom? God. We thank God that he will see the project through to the end and see to it that it's fulfilled. So praise God. That's the review. Now as we continue our study, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. The end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. The greatest sermon ever preached anywhere at any time. And here's what he said at the very end. Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house. We're talking about building or rebuilding upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew 
and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. All right, so in other words, it's important to understand the building material that we use is absolutely important. We don't want to be like the ones where he huffed and puffed and blew their house down, do we? We want to see to it that we have our house built on a strong foundation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as well, beginning at verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Not talking about salvation, talking about rewards. And he says, you can build your house on wood, hay, and stubble. But what happens when you're tried by fire with wood, hay, and stubble? It burns, right? But gold, silver, and precious stones, what happens? They don't burn, do they? They're refined. And so in other words, what he's saying to us is this. You can build your life on the right thing, on the right foundation with the right materials, or you can build your life on a bad foundation with the wrong materials. And the thing is, we're going to be challenged along the way. Do we want our house to stand or do we want it to fall? Whether it's your individual life, your family, your business, your church, your enterprise, your nation, and so on. So what are some of the good building materials that we all should use in order to build our lives upon a good, solid foundation? What are those materials? That's what we want to talk about. Number one is love. Love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, notice this verse. Verse 13 says it very clearly, now abides these three things, faith, hope, and charity, or love, and the greatest of these is what? It's love. The word charity there was translated, really, love, but it wasn't translated as we know it. It says charity for a reason. Agape love is the love of God, and there really wasn't a proper word to define what it really means. God is love, and agape means this is God. This is love in our hearts that comes from God. So love is the most important building material that any of us can use to construct our lives on, our families, our church, our business, etc. Okay, so when we talk about the scope of love, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about God's love for us. If we want to have a good, solid understanding of how we can build a strong life, we must recognize and understand God's love for us. It doesn't matter who you are or what you think. It's not based on what you, who you are or what you think or what I think about myself. What it's based on is God revealing himself to me. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So I got to recognize that God loves me. I may have a low estimation of myself, but you know what? That's really not proper. God sees my value. God sees our worth. He sees who we are and how much we mean to him. Others may think little of us. Others may belittle us. Others may criticize us. Others may not, have, not want anything to do with us. But you know what? God loves every single one of us. We're all valuable. We're all precious in his sight. We are in Christ, his masterpiece, his work of skill. Think about it. A masterpiece is who you are. That's how he sees you. As a matter of fact, he loves you so much you were worth dying for. And it doesn't get better than that. But if you say, I don't feel that way, feeling has nothing to do with it. That's who you are. You are loved. You are valued. You are worth so much. And he's proven that to every single one of us. When he sent his son to die for us. Then look at um, John's gospel. Oh, but first of all, God loving us. Then secondly, our loving God. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So we now love him. How do we show our love for him? How do we demonstrate our love for him? Jesus made it very clear in John 14. 
he said these words. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He that loveth me not doesn't keep my commandments. But if you really love me, then you'll see to it. You find out the facts. Find the facts. A person that loves God will keep his laws, statutes, and judgment. He'll keep those commandments to prove his love for God. The third thing in is to love ourselves. Remember what he said? Love others as you love yourself or even as I have loved you. And then we're talking about the scope of love. After you love yourself, now you can love others the same way you've been loved by God. So that's the scope of love. But look at John's gospel. Notice chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment that I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Well, why is that, Lord? Well, because in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, let's read those verses together here. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is of God. And everyone who, is, who loveth is born of God. And notice this, and knows God. You really know God when you live in the realm of love, which is the realm of the miraculous. So if we really know God, we will love because God is love. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not doesn't know God. You may be born of God, but you don't really know him. For God is love. Not God has love, but God is love. And so, it's a commandment given to us. So if we build our lives upon this foundation of truth, and we use love as a building material, that's gold, that's silver, that's precious stones that we're using to build our lives, to build our families, to build our church, to build our business, to build whatever enterprise, even in our nation. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8. Another important truth about love. This is divine love, the love of God. The first part we're just going to read. Charity, agape, divine love never, ever fails. So when a person chooses to use love as a part of the building material of his life, then that love means you'll never fail. We'll never fail to become who he wants us to be, never fail to accomplish his purpose in our lives. We will never fail to succeed in building our lives, our families, our businesses, and so on. Look at the next one in John, 1 John 4, 18. Love also is the ultimate protector. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out a little bit of fear. Oh, all fear. Mm -hmm. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect or hasn't matured in love. Love is the mark of perfection. And so if we mature in love, our fears will begin to wane from our lives. We won't fear death. We won't fear defeat. We won't fear loss. We won't fear anything. Why? Men's heart might fail them for fear, but when you're in the realm of love and you know that God loves you and you know that you love God and you know you love yourself the way God loves you and others the way God loves you, you're living in the realm in which there is a protective wall about you that you are building, allowing God to keep good things in and bad things out. Fear is cast out. Fear has no place where love abounds. Perfect love does what? Cast out all fear. Would that, wouldn't it be nice then if we all had a taste or a touch or a piece of the love of God? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Appreciate your enthusiasm tonight. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? Well, look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Look at what it says. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad or it has exploded in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. When you and I got born again, something happened on the inside. Yes, we passed from death to life, but the life of God is filled with love. The love of God was absolutely diffused within our hearts and lives and that love was made manifest in a powerful way. I know it's true in my life. It changed me from the inside out. I saw things from a different perspective. I saw the world from a different perspective. I saw even enemies from a different perspective through eyes of love, the way God saw them. Remember the apostle Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. In other words, it directs me. It guides me. It enables me to see someone not as to who they are in the flesh, but who they are in the spirit. Because if any man be in Christ, what is he? 
a new creation, a new creature that never before existed. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So in Christ, every single one of us on the inside, we would probably pass a look-alike contest. We'd look alike. Because you got the same glory that I got. We got his glory in jars of clay. We got his love in jars of clay. Now the thing is, we need to get it from the inside to the outside. And you know what? It's got to get through this flesh of ours. How? Through a renewed mind. And you know, sometimes these minds of ours are pretty thick. Right? They're like cement. Thoroughly mixed, well set. I'm speaking about me, not you. But we've all you know, face the need to renew the mind to God's love. We are to be motivated by God's love. We are to be guided by God's love, directed by God's love. And if not, see, then we take ourselves out of that realm in which the protection of God cannot be as strong. So it's important we understand our need to really focus on the love of God. This could be a sermon by itself. But the focus on the love of God, recognize we have the love of God. This love never fails. This love is the ultimate protector. And what is it all about? God loving me. Me loving God. Me loving myself and seeing myself as God sees me. And then taking that same love and loving others as he loved me. What is the most important, what are the most important two Let's say words in the commandment. Love others even as, wow, I have loved you. What a tall mandate. What a challenge to all of us. Are we living in that realm? Are we inviting the love of God into our lives and hearts? Are we developing it and maturing in it? What a question. Let's build our lives with the material of God's love. Can you say amen to that? Number two. You don't think we're going to get through all this, do you? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Look at the book of Ephesians. This is another building material that we all need to use. Every one of us. In Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32. Let a little bit of bitterness. <clears throat> you know, those puppets never said that. Those pictures never said that. They just, just looked at me just like that. Once one fell over, I was almost frightened by it. A little shocked there. Didn't like what I said. <laughs> Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. There's those two words again. How? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What a mandate. Even as. How have we been forgiven? Totally. When we got saved, our whole past was eradicated, wiped out. Nothing we ever did ever existed in the mind of God any longer. And even though as Christians we know we fail and we miss it along the way, if we confess our sins, what happens? They're, they're forgiven. So the mandate is for us to do what? Put away anything that will create any kind of animosity or distance between us and other people. And see to it that forgiveness is the primary, one of the primary building materials that we use in our lives to build our house our lives. Okay, so look in Luke 17, because Jesus was absolutely big on forgiveness. Look at the verse. Take heed to yourselves, not your neighbor, not your friends, not your family members, and so on, but take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him and if he repent, forgive him. For, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day. And seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent. That would be at seven times. I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent. Seven times. Thou shalt what? Forgive him. 
And the apostles said unto the Lord, oh my goodness, then increase our faith. You want me to forgive that much for increase my faith? The Lord said, look, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to that sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted a seed, and it should obey you. What's he talking about in that verse? A sycamine tree spreads out its roots. He's talking about the root of bitterness in the heart of an individual needs to be spoken to, removed, and planted in the sea of forgetfulness. Don't allow ourselves to be overcome by unforgiveness or bitterness or anything of that nature. So he was saying, look guys, you've got faith and you can use your faith to say bitterness, unforgiveness, I'm speaking to you. I eradicate you from my heart. I command that you leave, be planted in the sea of forgetfulness, never again to rise up, to create any kind of animosity between someone and myself. I absolutely refuse to be controlled by unforgiveness. Why? It opens up the door to the devil. Does it not? Satan will take you captive as his will, at his will when we get involved in strife and all that. He said, avoid it like the plague. Can you imagine if we walked around, not with masks to protect us from COVID-19, but to protect us from this evil he's talking about here? Of bitterness, unforgiveness, and so on. Malice, improper speech, and animosity, all that. Well, it's important, Jesus said, to speak to it. Command it. Look, bitterness, get out. I'm not going to entertain you anymore. Look at Matthew 18, because unforgiveness brings judgment as well. Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples. And notice this, Peter's the one that comes to him. You know, Peter, proud Peter, vocal Peter, thinking he's going he's to make points with Jesus. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I, my brother, sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Whoa. Four hundred and ninety times in one day, someone wrongs you. And what are we supposed to do? Forgive. Four hundred and ninety? That's like 489 too much, right? No. Well, that's what he said. And then he went on to explain that some fellow was forgiven the $25 million or even more debt because why he begged for forgiveness from the person he owed it to. But then he had someone that owed him $15. He wouldn't forgive him. He put him in jail until he could pay off his debt, which is mindless because you can't make money in jail. But look at the next few verses and let's see what Jesus said about that. How that set with him. Not too well. Then his Lord, after that he called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Oh my. Wow. That's pretty heavy, wouldn't you say? No forgiveness? We all need forgiveness. We all want forgiveness, don't we? Well, then we have to offer forgiveness. We have to sow forgiveness if we want forgiveness. And if we don't forgive, there's judgment that will fall in a person's life. But then also, unforgiveness makes us really vulnerable. Puts us in a very vulnerable place. Remember when it comes to prayer, in those two wonderful scriptures, Mark 11, 23, 24, how faith works, how prayer works. The next two verses tell us this. Let's read them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. Aught means anything against anyone. Why? That your father may forgive you, in heaven may forgive you your trespasses, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So in other words, he is saying this, if you want your faith to be effective, if you want your prayer life to be effective, 
if we want these things to be working to our benefit, we can't hold anything in our hearts against anyone. It's detrimental to our spiritual condition, to our spiritual homes, our spiritual houses. What it does is causes a breach in the wall of God's protective hand and makes us vulnerable even to the enemy or makes our prayer life ineffective. Remember what he said about husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, that your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. And so also he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And so it's important that we recognize that these good building materials, gold, silver, precious stone, include love, living in the realm of love, and forgiveness. Forgiving as we have been forgiven by God. You know, and in the natural, the natural thing is to live by feelings and emotions. And when someone wrongs us, you know how you feel about that. But God says, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to forgive as I have forgiven you. So remember how you've been forgiven and how much you've been forgiven and forgive someone else no matter what they've done to you. Look at 1 John 1, 9. Some have tried in this season of grace to get rid of the scripture in the life of a believer. I believe it applies to every child of God. What's the first word? What does it mean? If. It means you can or you don't have to. If we confess our sins. That's identify with our sins. He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means we have to identify with it. Blame nobody else. I did what I did and it was wrong. And I declare it. I confess it. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it. Not just forgive it, but also to remove the punishment as a result of it. You know what? That should cause us to get on our knees and repent before God and just say, before that, thing's come to, that thing comes to full fruition, I want to get that out of my heart, get that out of my life. Because it will eventually come to full fruition. Remember the sin of David and how he eventually committed murder and tried to cover up all that he did wrong? What happened to him? Nathan came to him and said, look, you think everything is okay? Your heart's not right before God. You've given the enemy of God a reason, a reason to mock him because of what you've done. You've got to get forgiveness. You've got to get right before God. You've got to confess your sin before heaven and let him know. And what did David do in Psalm 51? That very thing. He poured his heart out to God. He said, I blame nobody for what I've done. It's only me. I did it. I was wrong. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. How? Create a clean heart within me. Forgive me. Cleanse me from all that's wrong and unrighteous in my life. And you know what? That should be a daily thing for all of us. Not that we become sin conscious, but that we also recognize the need to get it out of our lives so we can make room for growth and make room for development in our lives. Can you say amen? Praise God. This might be a little bit heavy, but you know what? It's needed. It's much needed. Walk in love. Walk in forgiveness. See to it that we take it upon ourselves to recognize we've been forgiven the greatest of all debts. And that forgiveness enables us to enter into the kingdom of God throughout eternity. Not to forgive is treading on dangerous soil. Can you see that? It exposes us to the enemy. It creates our structures to be weak and vulnerable. And we don't want to do it. Number three, awareness is the third building material that we need to use as we construct our lives, our families, our businesses, etc. Let's read it. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not with human beings. It's not with the people that we see around us. Our fight is against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
What he's trying to do is to make us aware of the fact that this warfare that we're engaged in is unseen to us. Oh, the enemy might be carrying out his work through human beings, but they're really not the main problem. Behind the scenes, we know there's an unseen army against us in the spiritual realm. What did he say? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places that want to come against us. Why? Because they want expression in the earth. They want to bring destruction to human lives, to families, to businesses, to churches, to a nation. Look at the unrest in our nation. If we ever think that man can come up with an idea or a political party can come up with a plan or anyone in the natural world can come up with a plan to bring peace out of unrest, we're mistaken. He said, if you humble yourself, if you pray, seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, he's talking to believers, then I will hear, I will forgive and I will heal your land. And you know what? Non-believers don't do that. If non-believers don't do that, then who's he call up, calling upon to do it? Us. We've got to do it. We've got to take a stand. We've got to rise up against all these powers. We've got to proclaim what the word says over this nation. Confess it, declare it, decree it, and believe that these forces of evil are turned back. It's up to us to do our part. Now remember... They were doing this among people and leaders, kings and so on, in high places where they didn't vote on who was in office. They were non-believers that were in office. In many cases, they were atheists or they worshiped many gods. So he's telling them, even in an atmosphere, you've got to take your place. You've got to do your part. You've got to seek my face. You as a people turn from your wicked ways and I will hear, I will forgive, and I will bring healing to your life, to your family, to your business, to your church, to your nation, to your enterprise. So these evil spirits are forces of darkness. They've got strategies aimed at destroying all these units. But this is talking about you as an individual, me as an individual. Trust me. When you start walking with God and serving God and building a life of love, building a life of forgiveness, you now have a faith antenna that goes up high that the enemy can see. You become a threat to the kingdom of darkness and he will unleash his emissaries against you. Why? You're walking in the word. And when anyone walks in the word, immediately comes the devil to do what? Steal the word. To bring destruction. Steal, kill, destroy. That's his plan of operation. He doesn't want people to get rooted and grounded in the word of God. So we need to be aware of the fact that we have unseen forces of darkness coming against us to get what they want to be done in our lives. Well, I recall the story of an individual who was praying for his family. And on one occasion, he got caught up in the spirit. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to watch exactly what happens in this situation. He saw a family member walking down the street. He saw a demon land on his shoulder and say to him to do this. And he did it. He said, then he saw an establishment. It was a bar. He said, now watch this. He spoke and said, go in there. He made a turn to go in there. Well, the person in prayer rebuked the spirit and commanded it to go. And when he did, the spirit left his shoulder and was gone. He stopped right there, turned around and walked out, came back home and said to the individual, you never guess what happened to me today. He said, I know what happened to you today. He said, well, what? He said, you were walking down that street. Something told you to walk into that bar and to, to do whatever. He said, you stopped right there at the doorway and you turned around and walked out. How did you know that? I saw it in the spirit. And he was shown that just to show how demon spirits operate. They will sit on the shoulder even of a child of God and say, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And before you know it, they can control even the human life. So you see, we got to be aware of the fact these thoughts that come against us, they originate from the enemy. And he knows he can control a human life 
through, his wor- through thoughts. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may, and that means who gives him permission to devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. One translation says, in your faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Steadfastly actually means in a firm unwavering way resolutely stand against those thoughts coming against your mind resolutely in a firm unwavering way what does that tell me every single day of our lives we must be firm in standing against the thoughts the enemy injects into our thought life knowing he has no good intentions in mind at all he wants to destroy human lives. He wants to destroy families, businesses. He wants to destroy unity in church members. Why? To make us less effective in serving God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The number one tool of the enemy, let's never forget this, is deception. Deception is his primary weapon. And what is deception? To present as truth what is a lie and get the person to believe that's really the truth when in actuality it is a lie so remember this he doesn't just bait us with poison he baits us with a large pizza and puts a little bit of poison in it you see that that's how it works and of of course as long as we're looking at the whole thing and thinking that's great lo and behold it's going to catch up with you so in this verse we see this I'm afraid that lest as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, notice your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know, no sin ever started in the flesh. All sin starts between the ears. Right here. That's why it's called the battlefield of the mind. What we think about. Those thoughts injected by these demon spirits have got to be dealt with. Otherwise, they'll control the person by controlling their mind. So no sin ever started in the flesh. Adam and Eve. Go back to Eve. Hmm. Did he really say you would die? He knows you're not going to die. Look, sweetheart, you're going to be so wonderful. Beyond anything you could possibly imagine. Look at that tree. Look at the fruit of that tree. Oh my goodness. You're going to rise up by leaps and bounds by just partaking of that tree. He made it look so good, so appealing, so enticing for her. And what happened? She was deceived into thinking he was telling the truth. But you know what? It ended up being a lie. But through deception, he beguiled her. And the same thing is true of believers. He's not changing his method of operation. You know that. Number four, that brings us to this number four point. It's called the mindset. Look in Colossians chapter three. This is our building material now. We build with love. We build with forgiveness. We build with awareness that there's an enemy out there against us. We build with a proper mindset. In Colossians chapter three, verse one, if you then, this is from the New King James Version, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds, notice, set your minds, fix your minds, fix your thinking on things above, not on things on the earth. How about these next three words? For you died. You died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Can you imagine walking up to somebody and say, how you doing? Someone says, how you doing? I say, I'm dead. I died. What? Yeah, I died. I'm dead. And my life is hid with Christ in God. What a mindset for us to have. I am dead. I'm no longer alive to myself. Paul said, 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this life in the flesh that we are living is to be governed by God's word and the right mindset. And that's why he is saying, set your mind, your affection on the things above. Consider those things to be exalted in our lives above natural things, above the things of this world. Look in Proverbs chapter 23. You should know the verse quite well. The mindset is everything when it comes to building or rebuilding our lives or spiritual walls that stand against the evil that's in this world. Proverbs 23 verse 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As we think, we become. And the enemy knew that. So what's he want to do? Inject thoughts that originated with him. And if you think about it, that's exactly what he did to Eve. He himself originated the thought, I will rise above God. I will overthrow God. I will receive the worship of God. I will five times he said, I will. And he originated that. He's the originator and father of all lies. And so what does he use as ammunition? To infiltrate the mind of a child of God. To get them to think the way he wants them to think. And as I said, sin does not begin in the flesh. It begins in the thought life. And so important that we recognize we become what we think. He knows that. We need to be aware of it and resist it with our faith. Look in the book of Genesis chapter 6. You want to talk about something that was evil thinking that caused God to flood the world with a flood in Noah's day? The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Wow. Wrong thinking. Evil thinking. It should really all drive us to our knees to think we can become so vulnerable because every thought can be from the wicked one. Every thought can be one of rebellion. Every thought can be one that caters to the flesh and so on. But those thoughts, if we allow them to continue, become hostile before God. Look at the next two verse, next verse. Romans chapter 8 verses 5 through 8. And this is from the NIV. And here's what Paul said by the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile or a work of hostility to God. It means it's an active force of rebellion. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the flesh, or in the realm of the flesh, cannot please God. Wow. How important is it for us to recognize the fact that wrong thinking is hostility before God? Hostility. In other words, stepping away from what God's thoughts are means we rebel against God. He said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher than your ways and thoughts. So come and start thinking the way I want you to think. And if you'll do that, the right thinking will enable you to rise up with strong fortified walls to stand against all the evil influences that are out there in the world. And that brings us to one of the most important scriptures when it comes to the mind or the mindset. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 3. You've heard the expression nip it in the bud, haven't you? So let's nip it in the bud. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God that are pulling down the strongholds. Casting down. What? Imaginations. That's talking about the mindset. And every high thing that exalts itself against the what? Knowledge of God. And bring into captivity what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ goes on to say, and having it a readiness to avenge your disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
So in other words, we need to recognize the fact that thoughts that come against our mind have got to be dealt with. If we allow them to linger too long, they will take root. A thought will become an image and then a stronghold. And that's how it progresses. The thought to do something wrong, the image of doing something wrong, and then it becomes a stronghold to where the person is controlled by that way of thinking. That's why, for example, when it comes to something that's really wreaking havoc in our world today, pornography. It doesn't start in the flesh. It starts with a thought. And then an image. And then an imagination. And before you know it, it becomes a stronghold in the life of a person. Tobacco addiction, it starts with a thought. I remember when I was really young as a teenage boy, you know, I'm in high school and all that. My neighbor, you think they're a friend, and he is a friend, close friend. We grew up together. Why don't you try smoking? I'm smoking. Why don't you try smoking? I said, no, nah, I don't want it. Come on. Try. You, you've been there before? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't be a, a wuss. Don't be a sissy. Come on, come on. Everybody does it. It's cool. It's cool. And you know, you don't want to be on the outside. You want to be with the group. I wasn't a Christian at the time and everything. And so, I mean, he was smoking a lot. He said, so try this just one time for me. So I caved in, took one puff. Choked. And I thought, how in God's creation can you even think about doing that? It's so awful. He said, well, you got to get used to it. I said, why? <laughs> Punish myself to the point of what? Getting used to it? Man, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. At all. But he kept on trying, but I kept on saying, nope, absolutely, positively not, never have smoked in my life. And like I said, wasn't even a Christian at the time. But where did it begin? With a thought. Where did it begin with him? With a thought. Then what? Do you see yourself being cool in, in all that? Before you know it, you're addicted to it. Can't get rid of it. Why? It's a stronghold is why. Once again, what do we fail to recognize? Behind the scenes is a spiritual force that does what? Makes it appealing to the flesh to be satisfied in a way that dishonors God. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost that we have a God. We're not our own. We belong to Him. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We got people that are out there. How about this one? The devil will use scripture to get people to do things that are wrong, making them think they're doing things right. I'll never forget the time that when Brother Will told me, you know, he has really a lot of adventures in West Virginia. He said, yeah, I went by and saw these people. They drink battery acid. Who dropped that thought into their mind that I'm going to drink battery acid? Well, to prove it, I can drink any deadly thing and it won't hurt me. I got Bible on that. I got scripture on that. How many of you know that's a messed up way of viewing scripture? That's a wrong way of thinking. And then he said, and I've been to some churches that where they handle rattlesnakes. Go online. You can see some of these guys that handle rattlesnakes. And they think by being on a platform like this and having the praise and worship team play this alive music, lively music, while they're walking holding rattlesnakes. It's supposed to be something ultra spiritual. How many of you know that that was implanted in their minds by the devil, wrong thinking to get them to act out something that God never intended for his people to do? Then the one fellow actually shows him getting bit by it, and then he died. What does that prove? That Christians are crazy? There's a fine line between Christian and crazy sometimes. The enemy will use even scripture like he did with Jesus to get believers to do something wrong. You realize that? Well, cast down every thought, every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have to know the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Isn't that what Jesus did when he was tempted? He sure did. Praise God. Well, I, I think I'm going to quit. I'm not done. But I'm going to quit. We'll pick up the rest of it later. But these are some building materials that will help us 
build the kind of lives that God wants us to have. To live the kind of lives that are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That will stand against the storms of this life. That will rise up and conquer when challenged. As we use these building materials, they will help us do what? Help us when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, receive the rewards for our labors. Because we're building on gold, silver, and precious stone, not wood, hay, and stubble. And trust me, if they think handling rattlesnakes is going to get them a reward in heaven, I guarantee you that work will burn up. Drinking battery acid will burn up. You realize that? It will burn up. Can you say amen? Let's stand together before the Lord this evening. Hallelujah.